Welcome to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Visit speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more details. Thank you, President Samuelson, for the introduction and for the opportunity to speak. We live in exciting times. Over 180 years ago, the Lord said, I will hasten my work in its time. On every hand, we hear from church leaders and see evidence that now is that time. From temple construction to family history, from conversion to reactivation, the pace is quickening, and the young adults of the Church are central to virtually every aspect of this hasting of the work. However, this stone is not rolling forth without resistance. These are exciting times, but they are also described as perilous times. Just as the hastening is taking place on multiple fronts, so the perils we face come from multiple directions. Today, I would like to focus on what we can do in response to one trend that is making building the kingdom more difficult. In 1996, Professor Jane Elstein from the University of Chicago spoke from this stand about the state of democracy in America. She argued that we now live in a political age of resentment and withdrawal from civic life. She described at some length the weakening of democratic civil society. As a student of public decision processes, I can tell you that conditions have not improved in the years since Professor Elstein spoke here. The ability of democratic societies to bring together diverse views, critically examine arguments, and take action continues to erode. This is a problem for us because we need governments and civil society to work reasonably well if we are to effectively build the kingdom and spread the gospel. My purpose today is to explore with you what we can do to hasten the building of the kingdom by improving the quality of governance in our society. In particular, I want to f- consider more fully a theme that Professor Elstein referred to briefly in her talk. She noted that the great democratic theorists argue that democracy relies on the formation of civically engaged citizens. Oscar Arias, former president of Costa Rica and recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, once observed, democracy cannot survive as a matter of institutions alone. It relies ultimately on the conscience and care of each citizen. So individuals and individual choices do matter. The effect of one upright individual is incalculable. World leaders may see their effect in headlines, but the ultimate course of the globe will be determined by the efforts of innumerable individuals acting on their consciences." So the question I ask you to consider today is, What must I do to be an engaged, conscientious, and caring citizen in a democracy? Some of you are now saying to yourself, Oh, great, now I have to add saving democracy to the list of things I'm supposed to do. (laughs) My objective today, however, is not to give you one more thing to do, but to give you a citizen's approach to everything you do. In answering the question for yourself, my hope is that you will reflect more deeply on your role in our society. To stimulate your thinking, I would like to share the personal vision that gets me out of bed every morning. 
In doing so, I will compare being a citizen in our society to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. There are at least two ways to think about citizenship. The first sees citizens as having certain rights which should be protected by law. Those who hold this view see citizenship as a legal status and are concerned mostly with defending individual freedoms from interference by others. There is no question that rights are an important aspect of citizenship. All too often, however, in today's world, this approach to citizenship descends into a type of consumerism. Citizens see themselves as no more than customers of government. Now, efforts by government to improve their operations by focusing on citizens as customers are certainly valuable. My concern is with the way we act when we think of ourselves as customers of government. Consumer citizenship is something we assert only occasionally. We exercise our right to vote every year or two, maybe. When we go to the poll, the store, to choose what we want from a list. If we don't like what's on the list, we may not even go to the store. If there's a problem in the community, we expect the government to deal with it. Most of the time, though, we just want to be left alone. We either actively avoid or at least ignore what's going on with governments. After all, we say there's not much we can do about it anyway. We would certainly never think about what we do at work or school or in the neighborhood as ter in terms of citizenship. Some view their citizenship in the church this way as well. They may attend their meetings, but if they miss occasionally, no big deal. They may have a calling, but if it doesn't get done very consistently, it's because other things came up. It may even be that they ward hop because they want to limit other people's expectations of them. They may say to themselves, I'll show up just often enough to keep the bishop off my back and stay off the rescue list. I'll think about church part of the day on Sunday. The rest of the week is mine. The second vision of citizenship is more demanding and is captured well in the definition offered by Peter Block. A citizen is one who is willing to be accountable for and committed to the well-being of the whole. That whole can be a city block, a community, a nation, the earth. A citizen is one who produces the future, someone who does not wait, beg, or dream for the future. The antithesis of being a citizen is the choice to be a consumer or a client." Close quote. We often see references to a quote from Theodore Roosevelt about the man who is actually in the arena, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, if he fails, at least fails having dared greatly. What is less often remembered is that Roosevelt was describing what it means to be a citizen. This view of citizens as doers of deeds, as active builders, seems more consistent with what our Heavenly Father expects of us as fellow citizens in His kingdom. He blessed us with agency, the ability and the responsibility to act in ways that make a difference in what happens. He expects us to use our agency to be anxiously engaged in building His kingdom. There are lessons to be learned about active citizenship and the training we have been receiving about hastening the work through ward councils. If I understand the message correctly, each member of the ward council is to prayerfully consider 
the needs of members of their organization. Then as the Council meets, these needs are expressed and discussed by all members of the Council. As a body, the Council prayerfully deliberates on the needs of ward members, investigators, and their families. All members of the Council take an active role in these deliberations. They bring their own perspectives, insights, and concerns to the discussion. All are equally and fully committed to the success of their joint efforts. A course of action is decided upon and assignments made. In the weeks that follow, those that receiving assignments are asked to report on their efforts. The Council can then evaluate the actions taken and follow up as needed. I believe we can see in this example five essential attributes of active citizens in the Church and in society more broadly. Active citizens accept responsibility, do their homework, engage with others, take action, and learn from their experiences. Let me say a bit more about each of these attributes. First, active citizens accept responsibility. In the Church, these citizens take seriously the covenants they have made to bless the lives of God's children and to build the kingdom of God. They're willing to be accountable for and committed to the well-being of the whole. Elder Alexander Morrison made this observation about our stewardship as citizens in the kingdom of God. In addition to all else for which they are responsible, faithful stewards also have a deep sense of personal commitment to the mission of the Church. They see that mission in personal terms as one that applies directly to them and for which they bear a personal responsibility. They know that someday the Master will demand of them an accounting of what they did to, in helping to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man." Close quote. Section 134 of the Doctrine and Covenants connects this view of citizenship to our role in society. This declaration of the Church's belief regarding government states, Governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man, and that he holds men accountable for their acts in relation to them, both in making laws and administering them for the good and safety of society." Close quote. We believe that not only are we accountable for our individual actions, we are individually accountable for the actions taken by our governments. This accountability extends both to making laws and administering them. Active engagement in the functioning of government and in addressing community concerns is an inherent responsibility of our citizenship and demands our best efforts. Second, active citizens do their homework. Just a few verses after the Lord says He will hasten His work in its time, He proceeds to outline what we need to do to prepare for that hastening. It's a challenging list. We are to continue in prayer and fasting from then on, teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom and all things that pertain to the kingdom of God, things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, which are, which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home and abroad, the wars and the perplexities of nations, the judgments which are on the land, knowledge of countries and of kingdoms. And then we're given the reason for pursuing such a broad education that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again to magnify the calling whereunto I have called you and the mission with which I have commissioned you. So if we are to fill our role in hastening the Lord's work, we need to devote ourselves to the pursuit of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in pretty much all fields, 
If there's anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we aren't just interested in it, we seek earnestly after it. Being an active citizen in our society requires the same kind of commitment to learning that is expected of active citizens in the kingdom of God. Eleanor Roosevelt once observed that, that learning to be a good citizen is learning to live to the maximum of one's abilities and opportunities, and every subject should be taught every child with this view. Close quote. Just as we see education as central to our preparation for citizenship in the kingdom, she saw producing citizens as the true purpose of education. And I agree. This emphasis on preparation and education reminds me of an article I read as a young graduate student. I was enthusiastic about becoming a public policy analyst and anxious to understand what would be expected of me. I read an article by a well-known professor in the field that outlined what he thought should be included in the curricula of public policy programs. It was the most discouraging article I'd ever read. He said that to be a competent policy analyst, I needed to master not only economics and political science, but all types of history, science and technology, philosophy, psychology, institutional design and change, and then be prepared to analyze any given public problem using methods from several of these fields simultaneously and at different scales. For someone just starting out in the field, it was overwhelming. I've now been doing policy analysis for over 30 years, and I find that the professor was right. I have needed to understand these and other fields in order to address the problems I've worked on. But I didn't have to master everything all at once. I always had to be ready to learn new things. The nature of the problem I was working on determined the skills required in that situation. The lesson I learned about preparation is that active citizens, both in the kingdom and in society, must prioritize and focus their attention on the most significant issues. They then do their research, critically evaluate information, analyze carefully. They cultivate the ability to examine problems from the multiple perspectives that may be relevant. They seek to learn and understand all they can on any given issue. Third, active citizens engage with others. Paul, writing to the Ephesian converts, noted, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. We're linked together through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the covenants we have made to produce the finished temple. The councils of the Church are more effective when all members of the Council have embraced their responsibility, done their homework, and are fully involved in Council deliberations. It's when we are all fitly framed together, united in our pursuit of the common of the same eternal objectives, and each contributing our utmost that we make the most progress as a Church and people. It's the same in the broader society. Paul's statement it seems strikingly similar to a line that Thomas Jefferson penned. A nation, as a society, forms a moral person, and every member of it is personally responsible for his society." Close quote. This is a weighty thought, that we are each personally responsible for our society, but that is the, the Declaration of Section 134. We are each accountable for the quality of governance in our communities and nation. 
But we're not asked to bear this responsibility alone. Our lives are interconnected with others. Our capacities are enhanced, our possibilities expanded through cooperation and collaboration. Because of our shared responsibility, and because we're so much more effective together than we are individually, as active citizens, we must actively engage with others. We must cultivate the ability to participate in collective reasoning, just as we do in church councils. Such reasoning involves joining with others to identify issues and concerns, giving and receiving information, taking counsel together. In this process, act citizens actually listen to others with the desire to understand their views. They ask questions they don't know the answer to. They respect others. They respect the decision process. Inevitably, deliberative processes such as I have described identify conflicting points of view. When that happens, active citizens don't give up, but look for common ground and seek to build on a foundation of common understanding. We build relationships, coalitions, and networks as we patiently strive to reach joint decisions. There is no question that serious deliberation with people we don't agree with can be slow and frustrating, especially if we want the Lord's help because then we have to get rid of all those unkind thoughts so the spirit can be unrestrained. My experience suggests that we make much more progress when we put aside the idea that people who don't agree with us are either ignorant of the facts, stupid, or evil, and focus instead on what we have in common. Whether in the kingdom or society, active citizens must strive to synthesize and reconcile conflicting views, values, and priorities. It's not easy to do even in the Church. It requires that we place the well-being of all on equal footing and that we always balance the common good against individual claims. One of the best examples of this type of deliberative process outside the Church was the convention that produced the U.S. Constitution. The delegates came from different regions of the country with strong and conflicting personal and regional interests. In creating a written constitution for a new form of government, they were attempting something that had never been done before. What they shared in common was a commitment to some very basic principles of freedom and governance. It took months of collaboration and at times contentious discussion, but the result has blessed the lives of millions. Fourth, active citizens make decisions and take action. Active citizens realize that obtaining knowledge, understanding, and wisdom is not enough. That discussion is essential but insufficient. Deliberation must result in action. Agency implies both the ability and the responsibility to act for the accomplishment of our purposes. Active citizens produce the future. They do not simply wait for it or dream about it. One of the best examples of this active citizenship attribute that I have ever encountered is my wife, Carol. At one point in our early married life, we moved to a very small town in Utah. We were concerned about the limited range of cultural opportunities in the community. Carol's response was to organize and direct a community theater. She also led the effort to relocate and expand the library. Shortly after we moved to Philadelphia for graduate school, teach the teachers went on strike for several months. We had five children at the time. 
Carol's response was to organize the parents, find a venue, and hold classes for all the kids in our neighborhood. When we moved to Provo, Carol continued her involvement in public education and was instrumental in developing a character education program that was implemented across the city. She's currently engaged in efforts to protect and improve the environmental conditions in Utah. She's the mother of seven children, and each is a remarkable individual. Carol understands at a very fundamental level the need to take action if the future is to be better for our community than the present. Fifth, active citizens learn from experience. The central purpose of life is to enable all of God's children to learn and develop through the exercise of their agency. As active citizens, we should reflect on our own experience and that of others as we continue to accept responsibility do our homework, actively engage with others, make decisions, and take actions. In the kingdom, we learn through this process to become more Christ-like. In society, we learn from our experience to exemplify Christ-like attitudes that will strengthen our communities. These attitudes include the humility to recognize that we may not be right, the empathy to strive to understand the minds of other men and women, the charity to value their interests alongside our own without bias, and the strength to aspire to a world in which the least are heard and considered side by side with the greatest. I've briefly described today five attributes of active citizens. I'm convinced that developing these attributes will make each of us more effective in our citizenship roles. When Abraham Lincoln dedicated the cemetery at Gettysburg, he spoke of the great task remaining before us, the task of preserving a free and democratic government. The work of carrying out that task is not finished, and it never will be. It will always require active citizens to maintain a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. For me, and I hope for you, active citizenship in the kingdom of God and active citizenship in society are not separate. When I am in the service of humanity, I am in the service of my God, whether that is in my church calling or advising a developing country on how to raise the tax money needed to improve public services. I hope to go wherever opportunity presents itself to try to improve the functioning of governments because governments have such a huge impact on the freedom, security, and happiness of all people. That connection between government and the well-being of God's children is why the Lord needs active citizens and why preparing students for careers in professional public service is essential to the mission of BYU. What I have shared today represents my vision and my testimony of what we need to become, what I strive to become. I'm not suggesting that you must single-handedly save the world or even just democracy. But your path through life is not intended to be a leave-no-trace hiking experience. If you will live your life as an active citizen, you will have an impact on the ultimate course of the globe. The Lord will use you to hasten His work in ways unimaginable to you today. These are exciting times. The Lord has such confidence in us. May we, as active citizens, be willing to accept responsibility do our homework, actively engage with others, take action, and always learn from our experiences. I will close with the words penned by the Prophet Joseph from Liberty Jail with a slight addition. 
Therefore, dearly beloved brethren and sisters, my fellow citizens, let us, do, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for His arm to be revealed. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.